0: We're in the marketplace trying to represent Christ in a secular culture. Whatever God has called us to do, there's this—what I tell women often is, anything that makes me need God is a blessing. We don't often look at it that way, but it really is.
1: Welcome to First Person and this week's guest speaker, author, and radio host, Nancy Lee DeMoss of Revive Our Hearts. I'm Wayne Shepherd and coming up you'll hear Nancy talk about her early life and growing up with godly parents who modeled life as followers of Christ. But just before you hear today's interview with Nancy, let me encourage you to check out dozens of previous interviews available on our website. You'll find the list in the audio archive at firstpersoninterview.com. There's also a calendar of upcoming guests who will be joining us in the weeks ahead. Again, visit us at firstpersoninterview.com. Nancy DeMoss has been a friend for a number of years now, and it's always a delight to hear Nancy's clear expression of trust and confidence in the Lord. Her radio program, Revive Our Hearts, has been on the air for a number of years and is a popular Bible study program heard all over the country. But there's a story behind the faith that Nancy expresses so well, and that's where we started the conversation.
0: Well, I am so blessed and thankful to have grown up in a home with parents who feared the Lord and honored him. Uh, The name Arthur DeMoss is familiar to some. Uh, He's been with the Lord now, my dad, for over 30 years, Uh, but he was a A Christian layman uh, and involved in many different ministries and on boards of various Christian organizations. And uh, my mother, um, named Nancy, I'm Nancy Jr., little Nancy, (laughs) was how I was often known. And and both my parents were first-generation believers, and both of them hit the ground running when they came to know Christ and then started their marriage just grounded in God's Word. And uh, they had decided when they got married that they weren't going to have any children for their first five years of marriage, because there were a number of ministry endeavors they were involved in, and business as well, and uh, that was their plan, but... The Lord had different plans. Within their first five years of marriage, they had six children. And so by the time my mom was 24, um, I'm the firstborn of those children, and ours was a very active home, Um, a lot going on. But the thing I just remember growing up in that home is, um, yeah, a lot of activity, a lot of interaction, but a lot of heart for Christ and His Word and His kingdom and if we were always seeing people come to know Christ in our home, seeing marriages getting put back together, and um, there were faults and flaws and failures as well, um, and my parents would be the first to tell you that 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 was the case. Um, but I just the, the takeaway for me that stays with me still over these years is of. Uh, parents who sought the Lord, a dad who started every day, first hour of the day, on his knees, in the Word. Um, before any of us were up, he was up seeking the Lord. And those are the things that now that I'm in my 50s, I have taken with me and, um, and that have really provided the foundation for my own life and ministry in a huge way.
1: I don't know as much about your mom. Of course, we can read about your dad's life story. And, and when I think of your mom and dad and the home that you grew up in, I think of that consecrated home. What kind of impression did it make on you as a as a very young child? And when did you start realizing that, boy, this these uh, folks of mine are pretty serious about the Lord?
0: Well, I you know I didn't know any different. And so, what when that really began to strike me was when I. You know, in my Christian school and and Bible-preaching church upbringing, uh, started encountering so many people who didn't take Christ seriously. It was just another category of their lives. And uh, to find that not everybody lived this way with this earnestness about eternity and Christ and His kingdom. Um, and again, I, I just want to say, because you could listen to me, you know, sing the praises of my parents and think that, you know such a home is far from what you've experienced, but we had, you know, a lot of kids, a lot of, um, we're Greek family, and a lot of um, earnest discussions about lots of things, a lot of arguing, and (laughs) a lot of, you know, flesh and sinful things to be dealt with. You were normal. We were more than normal, Um, but there was this undergirding... um, passion for Christ and and living out of biblical principles. For example, uh, you say you, you haven't heard perhaps as much about my mom. Uh, she was not as public a figure, though very talented, very gifted, real heart for Christ. Um, but the big takeaway for me watching my mom as I grew up was that um, she was— serious about um, being a partner with my dad in um, what God had called them to do as a couple. She was really, in that sense, not what you would consider a modern woman, um, in that she really wasn't so concerned about, you know, making her own way, having her own life, having her own story. Uh, she was felt that God had called her to be a helper suitable to my dad. And she was a huge encourager. And um, in all the ministry they did, she was... You know, behind the scenes, usually, but in a really crucial way, uh, enabling them to fulfill the ministry God had called them to. And and I think back, for example, I never remember to this day hearing my mom say one um, critical or negative word about my dad. Hmm. Well, that made a huge impression on my life as a young woman. Um, just that you know, the encourager role that women can have in the lives of our families and the men around us. Um, So in so many ways, there there was great modeling and um, great opportunities to seek the Lord. But I'll tell you, my parents really emphasized that our faith had to become our own. And uh, for me, that started happening very young. Um, I first, my, my earliest memory, Wayne, is May the 14th. 1963, my first conscious memory, when I turned my life over to Christ, and um, I was a four-year-old child. I look at four-year-olds now, and I think, could a four-year-old really <laughs> get it? And all I can say is, my parents didn't push me into this. They didn't, you know, say, you know, you need to make a decision for Christ. There wasn't that kind of thing. Um, but there was just a, a an awareness that I needed Christ, and that He had given his life for me, and was calling me to himself and th- that began a journey for me that, even in my early childhood years, was marked by a sense of God setting me apart for himself and calling me to serve him. I didn't know what that would look like, what that would mean. I had no idea I'd be writing books or doing radio or but I just knew that he was worthy of my whole life and um again, it sounds like. You know, like a bigger than life sort of story. Um, that, you know, I, I had very normal um, teenage um, challenges and years. and um, But underlying all of that was just this sense that God had put His hand on my life and, and it all belonged to Him.
1: Yeah, well, it's your story, and, and that's what, uh, what we want to explore. Now, your dad died so young. How old were you when your dad died?
0: He was 53. He dropped dead of a heart attack. No warning, no um, expectation of that at all. My mother was only 40 at the time. Uh, there was that age range between them and uh, that age difference. But um, at the time, I, it was the weekend of my 21st birthday. Oh. So I was the oldest of seven children, ages 8 to 21. And um, again, I look back and think of my mother being left with that responsibility, with my dad's business, which he had just two weeks earlier, uh, he'd wrestled for a long time with wanting to spend more time in ministry. And two weeks before his death, he had made the decision to sell his business, he was in the insurance business, and um, to be able to devote more time to ministry. So then suddenly, that Labor Day weekend of 1979, he was gone, and... uh, at that point, my mother knew what she needed to do, but she had this you know large business that needed to be sold, and um, all the business aspects of that, and then the practical aspects of having a family, a lot of teenagers still an eight year old um, and uh, you know at the moment, you think in the midst of that kind of um, disaster, humanly speaking mm-hmm. uh, how that life will never look wonderful again. You know, she won't survive it. It's very That's hard to hard see to
1: past that. something like that, yeah, isn't it? Is. it? No.
0: But now I look back and, oh, do I see how true it is that God is a father to the fatherless, that he is a husband to the widow, that he, um, he is faithful and God never misses a beat, you know, and, and i tell you, Wayne, the first conscious thought I had when I received the news that my dad, who I'd been with that morning, um, and then I had flown back to Virginia where I was working in a church at the time, uh, and in the intervening hours, he had gone to be with the Lord, and when I got that call from my mother that Saturday night, the first conscious thought I had was that verse, which I'm paraphrasing from Psalm 119 that says, God is good, and everything he does is good. And that I don't know why that verse was on my mind, but I do know that for years my parents had kind of drilled into us the fact that God is sovereign, God is good, God is wise, God doesn't make mistakes. And I had seen my parents live that out in my... Just in that period, in that same season of my life and in, in my high school years when my dad's business had gone through some very rough waters, he had um, lost a lot of money that he had made quickly and then lost quickly. And And I watched him through all that turmoil with a contented spirit and, and trusting God's goodness and realizing it all belongs to God anyway. So I'd seen them live that out, and then I had that experience where all those things I'd heard all those years I found out they're really true. Mm-hmm. God really is faithful and and I've watched him, you know, now with the ministry over all these years and its challenges and ups and downs and um, you know many disasters through the course of those years. and i've and I've just seen again and again and again that God really can be trusted. and I, and I guess that that really is a story of my life.
1: And, of course, there is more to that life story, and we'll hear it coming up with Nancy Lee DeMoss on First Person. Well, next week is Christmas, and what should we do on Christmas for First Person? Well, how about the stories behind a few of your favorite Christmas carols? And what if we had music from, let's say, Jeff Taylor on accordion and Steve Wick on guitar and John Ketchings on cello? Okay, let's do it. Next time when you join us for First Person, we'll celebrate Christmas together with stories and songs from the audiobook project 101 Hymn Stories. Come, enjoy Christmas with us next time on First Person. So Nancy, here you are. You're 21 years old. You're in school. Your father passes away. And uh, what did you intend to do in life?
0: Well, actually, at that time, I was out of school. I graduated from college at the age of 19, and I was serving in a local church ministry in children's ministries uh, when my dad went to be with the Lord, and um, I had a heart for You know, the family for discipling children, for teaching the word of God. I had been doing that actually since uh, my first time teaching the word was when I was eight years old, and a (laughs) teacher, Sunday school teacher, had to be out and asked if I would like a chance to teach, and I was hooked. Um, Oh, I I would love
1: to hear that lesson.
0: (laughs) Well, I don't know if I would or not, but um, it was. I knew I loved. I love studying God's Word. I loved teaching it. And so that's what I was doing with children um, there in my early 20s. And then some opportunities developed to begin doing women's uh, seminars. And uh, at the time, I remember thinking, um, this is kind of true confessions here, um, I, I don't even really like, you know, being around women a lot. I, I liked, <laughs> that sounds a little crazy, but um, I, I didn't think that was a lot of fun, but, and and it one of the reasons for that was I had really not at that point come to grasp what I have understood better um, in recent year, in more recent years, and that is why God made men and women different and what the, the, the distinct design and de, um, divine design and calling for women. Um, that wasn't something I had a lot of understanding of, but I did start doing those women's seminars and as I did, I began to develop um, an even greater burden that actually had been in my heart since I was a little girl, and that was for revival and spiritual awakening in the church. Hmm. And um, I remember as a 12 or 13-year-old reading some of the stories of how God had moved in past revivals. I would read the book of Acts, and I would think, What's wrong today? You know, why aren't we experiencing this kind of evidence of God's power and the going forth of the gospel with boldness? And, you know, I was in great churches. I was in a good family, but we weren't seeing that kind of thing taking place today. So that was a seed that had been planted in my heart as a young girl. And um, in those early years of ministry, that continued to grow. And I just found myself desiring, longing to see God call the church back to her first love, to see women experience um, the freedom and the fullness and the fruitfulness that Christ designed for us, intended, um, and that people would enjoy Christianity and not just endure it, you know, that they would love, really love Jesus. That's what I wanted for myself. That's what I wanted for others. And out of that, um, those passions, God began to just create some opportunities for me to communicate that that burden with others.
1: Is that what led you to Life Action Ministries?
0: It is. And I was in my early 20s. I discovered this ministry that has a heart for, um, is based on on the mission of revival, believing God to create authentic movements, movements of authentic Christianity. And I thought I had died and gone to heaven when <laughs> I discovered this ministry because um, it was so, the DNA was so similar to what was in my heart. And I um, as I have been on the staff of Life Action Ministries for over 30 years. It's now, um, I guess, coming up on 33 years and um, have had so many opportunities there. I'm so thankful to grow myself, to serve with like-minded, like-hearted um, men and women who share this burden, and then to um, develop a ministry to women, calling them to experience that kind of um, personal revival.
1: Yeah. Nancy, I, I think I first really became aware of you and your ministry back when you spoke at Campus Crusade for Christ uh, staff meeting. Our mutual friend, Jim Warren, who, yes. uh, who was on the radio for many years and we yes. worked together and Jim's with the Lord now, but he really was tracking with you because God was doing something very special during those days. Now that all these years have gone by, how do you look back on that time?
0: Oh, you know, it's one of those sacred moments. Um, You hardly know how to talk about it. And if you could talk about it, it's hard to describe without having been there. I've written some about that experience in a book I've written on brokenness. Um, But it was back in 1995, and I had been asked to come and speak to the 4,000 staff of Campus Crusade for Christ at their biannual um, staff gathering. Mm -hmm. And God had put on my heart a new message on the subject of brokenness. I had been experiencing some personal brokenness in um, in a in a family relationship uh, where God had been bringing me to a point of. Need and repentance and seeking Him, and it was just all very fresh. And I had been living in the Book of Isaiah that year, and there was a lot in there about God reviving the humble and broken heart. And um, and Campus Crusade was God was doing a real work on a lot of campuses that year. Um, Some Christian college campuses, Wheaton experienced a an outbreak of um, some, you know, maybe small-R revival, and it was happening on some secular campuses. So there was a real sense of expectancy and um, wanting to see God move, and um, I was asked to speak to that gathering, and there—I um, don't even—it's hard to even explain Yeah, you can't how, put it into
1: words, can you?
0: Yeah, but it was something that those who were there to this day look back and say— god was there
1: yeah uh nancy you're best known of course for your books and for your speaking and conferences the true woman conference uh, that you do and and of course revive our hearts the radio ministry and i was uh, kind of hanging around when revive our hearts came into existence and i know your reluctance uh, to say yes to that. i want you to talk about those early days now 10 years ago that revive our hearts went on the air
0: Oh, well, Wayne, and, and you were around in those days, and you gave me some good counsel, and and as did Jim Warren and others, but I was so scared, um, felt so weak, so needy, and actually, that is still true. Um, but I, as you remember, this program was a successor program to Elizabeth Elliott's Gateway to Joy. Mm-hmm. And, you know, what huge... Shoes that woman has yeah. worn and and I, and I just I, I still have people coming up to me to this day and saying i didn 't like you back in those days because you were replacing Elizabeth Elliot, and nobody was more keenly aware than I that I could not fill those shoes, hmm. um, and I just had to come to the place of you know, recognizing that I'm not Elizabeth Elliot, God made me who I am, and um you know it's I don't know if guys do this, but as women we tend to compare ourselves to one another, and um, it was such a temptation, but I also knew that if God didn't supply daily grace that this job was so much bigger than I, that I, there was no way I could do it and so back then and to this day i I asked the Lord years ago to never let me get to the place in ministry where I could do what He had called me to do without needing Him. And God has been very faithful to answer that prayer. Um, I just, over all these years, I still have, you know, people look at, somebody writes books and speaks, and I I do this with others. You just think it looks effortless to them. (laughs) They look like they just have it together and it just kind of oozes out of them. And I think sometimes people have that image of any of us who, you know, have a public ministry, mm-hmm. but I can just tell you as Nancy Lita Moss, every day of my life, I have this keen sense of helplessness, of desperately needing God, that if he does not come through, whether it's an interview like this or writing the next chapter in a book or producing the next radio program, I'm just constantly casting myself on Christ and saying, Lord, I need you. And... um I hate being there, but it's a great place to be.
1: Yeah, I understand you know? that. And and the same is true for all of us, regardless if we are on the radio or not. I mean, all of Raising life Raising
0: a- children, you know, living in a marriage, we're in the marketplace, um, living in a—trying to represent Christ in a secular culture, whatever God has called us to do. There's yeah. this—it's it's good to be in—what I tell women often is anything that makes me need God— Is a blessing. Yeah, we don't often look at it that way, but it really is.
1: Hmm. Nancy, do you think much about the future?
0: You know, when I was twenty, I had it all figured out, (laughs) Um, and now I I tend to walk much more day by day. I'm fifty three. My dad went to be home went home to be with the Lord when he was fifty three, so it does make me think. I have more reminders these days that our days are numbered. I was meditating this week on 1 Peter 2 that all flesh is as grass and the glory of man is the flower of grass. You know, it doesn't last long, mm. but the word of the Lord endures forever. Amen. So yes, I do think about the future in the sense of the that day when we will give account um, at the judgment seat of Christ, at the... Um, what we have done with the gifts He gave us and our faithfulness as His servants. And um, I want to be found faithful. I want Him to be able to say, well done. But I also know that you don't get there um, without a day-by-day steady obedience, um, just doing the next thing that He's called us to do. So I don't um, obsess about the future. I just want to be faithful. I have asked the Lord— And I don't know if he'll grant this or not, but I've asked him to let me serve him till I'm 85, and I take that from my friend Caleb in Joshua chapter 14, (laughs) Um, wanting more mountains to conquer for Christ, but, you know, um, the older I get, the um, 85... Um, you know, maybe it would be better to be with the Lord by then. I, you know, I'll leave that to him. Well, it's um, in the
1: Lord's hands, but if anybody can make it, you can, Nancy. <laughs>
0: well, it's grace, tis, you know, tis grace has brought us safe thus far and grace will bring us safely home. And that's what I lean on. I, it's Christ's righteousness, His grace, His power, His strength. That's, we are nothing. He is everything. And um, so for today and tomorrow and the next day, I'm, I'm, I'm planning on leaning hard on Him.
1: My thanks to Nancy DeMoss for taking time away from her writing and recording to visit with us today here on First Person. Once again, her radio program is Revive Our Hearts, and we'll place a link to her ministry at our page, firstpersoninterview.com. Just follow that link to find Bible study resources and much more available from Revive Our Hearts. Again, go to firstpersoninterview.com. Well, I very much enjoy getting to bring these conversations to you each week, and hopefully you enjoy them as well. But did you know that all of our first-person interviews are archived online for listening anytime? You can find them in the archive at firstpersoninterview.com. Next week, a special Christmas edition of First Person and something a little different. We're going to hear the stories behind a few of the carols and Christmas hymns that we enjoy so much at this time of year. That's next week here on First Person. Now, with thanks to my friend and producer, Joe Carlson, I'm Wayne Shepard. Join us next week for First Person.